Costliness of Grace is our title um, today. This is kind of a second part of the um, first one I did back before the flood. I was supposed to preach two weeks in a row, and then the flood happened, and we didn't have church. So uh, when Dow asked me to preach the other week, he was like, you're going to do the second part, right? And I was like, no, I'm going to do something different. And he's like, no, you need to do the second part. So I read over, and, and I really felt God say that, yeah, you probably should do the second part and finish up um, what he laid on my heart back then. But um, so we're going we're gonna to continue with the prodigal son, um, the second part, really looking at the older brother this time and, and what that means in Scripture. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt lost, like physically lost, or have you ever lost something in your life? I'm sure everybody in here has lost something. You lose your keys, all these kind of things. I talked to Lucas the other day. He bought this thing for Lindsay that um, when she loses her keys, she can use her phone to find her keys, and when she loses her phone, she can find her keys to, lose her phone, to find her phone. It's a pretty nice, pretty nice thing. Um, I've got a couple stories about when I was lost. Here's, my mom lost me twice, okay, in my life. Don't know if this is on purpose, but probably so. Uh, first time was at Kmart with my brother, and um, we, we were looking at something. We look up, and mom's gone. Nowhere to be found in Kmart, so we have to go to the lady and make a blue light special. Um, so she makes the announcement, uh, Miss Seedslag, would you please come to the front? And, of course, she found us, and, and we were saved and rejoicing because I was, you know, I was kind of calm. My brother freaks out a little bit, so he was about to have a heart attack, but you have to know him to understand that. Um, other time... My mom worked with the youth at State Street Baptist Church, and we were going to Carowinds. So, great story. I'm probably in fifth grade, uh, and so they're going to take me along. I'm excited. So, everybody meets in the fellowship hall. They're getting ready to go. I decide to go exploring the church, because that's what you're supposed to do when you're in fifth grade. I'm in the backyard uh, playing, looking around. I go to the front of the church where the bus is supposed to be, and it's gone. So, I don't know what to do. So, I'm about to have a heart attack myself. So the only thing I could think of is to go to the back of the church, go down the little stairway and hide down there until dark comes and they come back at like midnight. So it's a true story. So my mom left me. They got to the gas station. Luckily, they needed gas. So they got to the gas station. And they said, where's Brad? So uh, evidently, Dad thought he was with her, and she thought I was with you know him. So they sent somebody back to get me, saved me. I didn't die, and that's why I'm here speaking to you today. So... So we've all been lost. We've, we've all lost something. Or hopefully you do not lose your children. So I knew I would die or be murdered if I lost one of my children by my wife. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, but we're going to look at, at who Jesus was talking to at first. You know, this is, this is before the parable. There are three parables, um, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son that we're going to look at, that things were lost. And, and I want you to look at who Jesus was talking to here. And in Luke chapter 15, 1 through 2, if you want to turn there. I'm going to have the, the words up here. But it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So right here you see Jesus isn't just talking to, to just every, you know, just the sinners and all, but he's also talking to the, to the religious leaders. He's talking to everybody, um, Jerusalem, Israel as a whole, so that they can hear what he has to say. And... And here you see right away, Jesus is, he's doing all these things. He wants a specific group to listen here. In the second part, I believe he's really focusing on these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the ones that are, that are holier than thou, um, which sometimes, you know, some of us might fall into that category. Sometimes we feel like, you know, we're better than this person or that person. But, but let's recap the prodigal son. That he, took away, he took his inheritance, right? Took it off, took all that money, went to a far country, Wasted all that money, 
came back expecting to be a hired servant to work for his father, but his father runs out and meets him and forgives him and, and shelters him and showers him with grace and forgiveness, which is a great example of, of the love that we get from our father. So the story of the older brother, let's go to him. Who is he? Uh, many people think of him as the good kid, the kid that didn't take the money and run, the kid that stayed home and worked on the farm. He did all these things. Those are great things and things that, you know, we're expected to do. I always worked. When my dad told me to do something, I did it. You know, that's, that's how we're supposed to be raised. That's, that's the way you're supposed to do things. That's the way I try to teach my children. You know, when I say something, they're supposed to do it. It doesn't always happen. But, you know, now when Georgia says it, they do it. So that's how it is. But this is the, the, the verse. Let's listen to this. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back and safe and sound. Great thing. Wonderful thing. If I lost my brother and, and he took off and then he came back, I would be so excited. I wouldn't be just asking what's going on. I would know that my brother was home and I would rejoice and run in there after him. But this older brother is showing that, that he's so disconnected. He's out in the farm, out in the fields working. Um, he's taking care of things, which is great. And he stayed home like his father asked him to do. But, but he's just simply following the rules. He doesn't have what he really needs to have with the father. Uh, it says, I, I wrote here, the, the older brother is much like these Pharisees in the crowd, always working and trying to please God through following the law. The older brother was outside the banquet, having missed what had happened due to his work and distant relationship with his father. For him and for the Pharisees, all was based on merit and reward. He viewed himself more as the father's servant than as his son. And I know all of you have a relationship with someone, you know, and a relationship is something where, where you, don't, you don't just do things, you know, just to do them, but you do them because you love somebody, because you love that person. You want to please them, and you want to have that kind of relationship. And that's what God wants us to see here is what we should have with the Father. We should have the relationship where we want to do things for, for God. And, and, the, and the son says, but, but he was angry and refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him. This, again, this father is, is amazing. This is how a father should be. The prodigal son came home. The father ran to greet him. This son, being stubborn, upset, whatever, frustrated, is outside. And yet the father doesn't wait for him to come in. The father goes out to him. Once again, goes out to his, to his other son and entreats him. Because he wants him to be part of, part of his life. Again, we see it's just a, con- a contrast of, of the way the, fo- the son acts and the loving forgiveness that the father gives us. I think about my life many times. We, we talked today, if you were in Sunday school, about Israel and how, you know, time and time again, God came through, right? Yet Israel grumbled and complained about not having enough food to eat or not having enough water these things, but, but not relying on God and trusting God. And here, God shows again that he is always coming to us to meet our needs. Um, a quote that I took um, says, Similarly, the Pharisees grumbled because God received sinners and welcomed them into his kingdom. Nevertheless, God reached out to them through Jesus, just like the father reached out to his older son. The same tenderness marked the father's dealings with the elder brother as marked his dealings with the younger brother. So we continue. 
But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who, was de- who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Look at the beginning. What does he say to his father? He goes, he asks his father, Look, now if I go up to my daddy and say, Look here, daddy. This is what you did. Look's probably the only word I'm going to get out of my mouth before um, I'm laying on the ground. So, you know, disrespectful. You know, how many times are we disrespectful to, to the one, to God? How many times do we just say, this is my way and the way that I want it, yet God wants us to do it this way? You know, we, don't, we, we, we shouldn't be disrespectful to God. But, but here he boasts of what he had done for the Father and blamed him for not giving him more. Clearly he felt that the Father's response should have reflected justice rather than grace. This is the great thing about God. Justice. What do we all deserve for our sin? We deserve death. Yet God, through his mercy, for, through his grace, he forgives us because he loves us so much. And he wants us to have that relationship with him that he continually comes after us, continually seeks us because he loves us. Um, I've got a quote from... Um, I can't ever say his name in Versby. And he says, he hasn't, the, the son hasn't stayed home because he loved his father, but because working in his fields was a way to get what he wanted. You know, he wanted that inheritance too. He wanted that land and property, but he was going to wait until his father passed away and then, and then take it. But he never had what, what's truly important. You know, I think, you know, hopefully my dad will live another 30, 40 years or so, you know, until he's about 150. You know, hopefully he'll be there you know, that's, those are the precious times, the times you have spending talking and learning from, from him, you know, and, and, and growing together. You know, the things that he has, he has some pretty cool stuff, but those things matter not at all compared to the relationship we have together. Verse continues, he says, he points out parallels between the prodigal's coming to his father and the sinner coming to God through Christ. Listen to these. The prodigal was lost, but Jesus said, I am the way. The prodigal was ignorant, but Jesus said, I am the truth. The prodigal was dead, but Jesus said, I am the life. This is what God wants us to have. This is what God wants us to know, that he has everything in his hands. He knows exactly what we need step by step, day by day. As we continue in verse 31... It says, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was, fitting, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know, his response to his, to his son coming home is one of, of, of pure joy, knowing that he was lost and now is, and now is found. And, and the older son's just hostile, hostile against him. The father pointed out that the older son's privileged position has always benefiting from his father's company. It was necessary to celebrate the return of sinners. It shows that the older brother should have joined in the rejoicing. And that's what God wants us to do. You know, I think of many times in my life where maybe, you know, I thought I was better than this person. Or maybe that, you know, yeah, I go to church and I do the right thing. You know, do I really want this person coming to church with me? I mean, I, I can admit that, that I've, that I've felt that way in my heart sometimes in the past. And, sometimes, and, I, and I think about 
uh, my brothers that I grew not my, my true brothers, but my brothers that I grew up with, five guys that I grew up with in the youth group, and I may have mentioned this before, but um, out of those five, just me and one other attend church. Just me and one other have a relationship with God that I know of. And, you know, that breaks my heart, knowing that. And we're going to look at this. You know, am I acting like the older brother? Or am I being the way that God wants me to be, reaching out to them and, and going after them? This is what we have here. This, the parable teaches that God loves sinners, that God searches for sinners, that God restores sinners, and that God confers the privileges and blessings of sonship on those who return to him. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I mean, the prodigal son, he did it all, right? Everything you can imagine. Yet he returned to God, and God met him with open arms. And that's what God wants us to do. Listen to this. Since Jesus was speaking to Pharisees and lawyers who rejected God's salvation that he extended through Jesus, they grumbled against Jesus because he received sinners who believed on him. They didn't think that he should be eating with sinners. He didn't think, they didn't think that he should be, you know, talking to them. They thought that salvation was just for them, just for the ones that did every right thing. Even more unexpected, the younger son received a new position that he had not enjoyed previously after he returned. The Jews were God's children only in the sense that God had adopted them into a special relationship with himself. They still had to believe on Jesus to obtain eternal life. You know, we're all God's children. We, we are all created by him. You know, even if you're not, you know, Jewish, you're still God's child. But Jew or Gentile, you have to believe on Jesus in order to be saved, in order to have the gifts that God wants to give you and to lavish on you. Uh, in, in my life, I've learned this. There's two types of disobedience. Well, basically, you can, you can do one, one or the other thing. You can either obey God or disobey God in everything in your life that you do. But there's two types of disobedience that, that we see here. Uh, one is very obvious, and it's represented the younger son. You go away and you do whatever you want. You know, you just do everything that pleases you and forget what the father wishes for you. The other is not so obvious. The older brother, we find out, is not as perfect as he seems. Yes, he is at home with his family, but he is more concerned with managing the property over having a personal relationship with the father. Uh, I'm blessed. I'll tell you that over and over again with the relationship I have with my father. You know, did we always get along? Did we always agree? No. But we always had a chance to talk and to communicate and, and to find um, that, that place in our lives that makes our relationship so special. And God wants us to have that as well. Another quote here, uh, I don't know where I got this from, to be honest, but it says, On one level, these parables deal with Israel's religious leaders, but on another level, they deal with all of the Jews. The unbelief that characterized the Pharisees and lawyers also mark the nation as a whole. Therefore, it seems that these parables teach that God reaches out to the Gentiles in view of Israel's unbelief, as well as extending salvation to Jewish sinners in Jesus' day. As Luke's gospel unfolds from Jesus' postponement, the kingdom onward, Jesus' mission primarily to the Jews declines, and his worldwide mission to the Gentiles becomes an ever-increasing emphasis. And so we see here that Jesus, this is where he starts taking the word beyond Israel. And we know today that it's, it's everywhere, right? Well, almost everywhere. There are still people that haven't heard the name of Jesus, which is, you know, unbelievable to imagine in, in our day and age of technology and everything. But there are people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus. It's amazing. 
Listen, to this John MacArthur wrote this. This then is the central and culminating lesson of the parable. Jesus is pointing out the stark contrast between God's own delight in the redemption of sinners and the Pharisees' inflexible hostility toward those same sinners. Keeping that lesson fixed firmly in view, we can legitimately draw from the larger story as Jesus unfolds it several profound lessons about grace, forgiveness, repentance, and the heart of God towards sinners. Those elements are also so conspicuous in the parable that almost everyone should be able to recognize them. You know, how many times do we let our hearts harden toward others? How many times have, have I been that older brother that just stood outside instead of going in and going after my brothers and trying to bring them into the presence of the Father? You know, we've all probably fallen short somewhere in our life where we should have gone that extra step to bring that brother or sister to the Father. So, you know, who is the older brother? He, he is that Pharisee. He is that, that hypocrite, the one that, that acts like they have it all together, that act like they have that relationship with God. They're doing all the right things, yet they don't know the Father. They don't truly know Him. The difference between those who believe and those who do not is found in one place, and that's in your heart. God made us with the ability to choose. It's a, it's a wonderful gift to be able to choose to love someone. Think of my, my wife, my children. You know, they could, you know, I could be forced to love them. They could be forced to love me. But that wouldn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is that we have a relationship. And because of that relationship, something changed in our heart that made us love each other. The same thing with God. If you don't have a relationship with him, it's, your life's just going to be stagnant. You're not going to have the riches that you get from knowing him. But when you spend time with him, something changes in your heart that makes your life so real and makes that connection with him so amazing. That you're not just coming to church, that you're just not just giving offering or going on mission trips or stuff, but that you actually know him. That's the difference, that you actually truly know him and pursue him in your life. Nobody wants to be forced to love somebody. It needs to be something that's free. Tim Keller writes, The key difference between a Pharisee and a believer in Jesus is inner heart motivation. Pharisees are being good, but out of fear-fueled need to control God. They don't really trust Him or love Him. To them, God is an exacting boss, not a loving Father. Christians have seen something that has transformed their heart toward God so that they can finally love and rest in the Father. What a great thing to finally love and rest in the Father. You know, not worrying about tomorrow, not worrying about, you know, what you're going to eat today or, or what you're going to do the next day, but knowing that God is there with you, that God has a plan for you and a purpose for you, and that we just need to trust Him. And the only way to, to truly learn to trust someone is to get to know them and to get to know them, and that love and that trust grows. And that's what the Father wants to us. There's also a, a price. Forgiveness always involves a price. And it says in the Bible that forgiveness cannot happen without the shedding of blood. And we know that forgiveness for the entire world came through one person. That's Jesus Christ. Just last week, uh, a week ago Friday, this past Friday, that we celebrated Christ. We celebrated the birth of Christ, the fact that he came. And he came to live. He came to die also. But he also came to conquer death. And through conquering death was that shedding of the blood that saved us. 
the first two parables in the story, they're ones of people seeking out, looking for the lost coin, looking for the, looking for the, the lost sheep. How about the prodigal son? Does anybody go look for that prodigal son? Anybody? Never mentioned. Father and brother, they stay home. You know, fathers, I can imagine the father sitting on his doorstep, on his porch, looking every day, waiting for that son to come home. Yet the brother never goes out to get him. I guarantee if my brother disappeared, or if I disappeared, one of us would be out looking for the other. And they all have the same, same relationships with someone that you love. You would be out there looking for that person. And this is what, what I want to read here. The older brother did not act as he should. A true older brother would have found a way to bring his brother back and restore him to the family. But he is not portrayed this way. The older brother is portrayed just like a Pharisee. He only sees the wrongs that the younger brother has committed and does not think he deserves a place back in, his, in the family. However, that is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us here. This is a lesson for everyone, past, present, and future. God wants us to, to do whatever we have to do, sacrifice whatever we have to do to bring others to him. And, and that's our mission in life. Tim Keller writes again, We need one who does not just go to the next country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth. We need one who is willing to pay not just a finite amount of money, but at the infinite cost of his own life to bring us into God's family. For our debt is so much greater. And that's what Jesus has done. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You know, the cross, the picture of the cross, the price, the costliness of this grace that we don't deserve, yet God paid everything for us to have. The cross of, of the grace of God is through the price paid by Jesus. At the cross, he was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with dignity and standing we don't deserve. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother, and that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. He, used, he spent everything, an infinite amount of money could not take the place of one's life, especially that of the Son of God. Grace is freely given to us by our Heavenly Father, but that grace, and with it, forgiveness came at a price. Jesus came to the world fully aware of what was going to happen to him, the pain, the suffering that he was going to go through. You know, death, really, I mean, to be honest, if somebody just killed you quickly, would not be that scary as what Jesus went through. Torture, and then hung on the cross, the worst way to be executed. And, and why did Jesus come? Why did he come? This is why Jesus came. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so we have to have a response. What is our response to Christ? You know, do we obey him? Do we follow him? Or do we turn away and disobey? Do we live our lives um, based on our own will and our own desires? Or do we just sit there and hang out and play church? Or do we really try to have a relationship with him? You know, I'm just like anybody else. There's days when I mess up. There's days when I totally get so busy, God's the last thing on my mind. I mean, that's the truth, you know. 
and, and, and I hate to admit that. And I wish I could say I was perfect and that I, could, that I always had all the answers and that I had the perfect relationship with Christ, but I don't. And, and nobody ever really will. But God continues to do what? Wait for us. And not only wait, but when he sees us, run out to us and wrap his arms around us because he wants us so badly to do what we need to do, love him, our creator and father. This is a little long. This is Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said his, this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not seeing your mind, setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. This should be our response. Not to be ashamed of of, of Christ. Not to be ashamed of the gospel. But to daily pick up our cross and follow him. To deny ourselves. And, and I, th- I think about this, you know, written 2,000 years ago in a sinful, adulterous generation. And then I look at our world today. You know, a, lot of, a lot of crazy stuff in our world today. God wants us to turn from those things. God wants us to turn to him and to follow him. Jesus was sent to suffer and to die for us, but he did this also to glorify God the Father through providing us such a wonderful gift of grace through the most costly of prices. I ask you today, Will you obey God or disobey God in your life? I pray for each of you. I pray for myself that we will daily deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised.